Reading from God's Word is taken from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8. In connection with the commandment, you shall not steal. And in the sermon, we'll deal also with this chapter, chapter 8. It has basically two, two parts, 1 through 10, teaching and how to serve God, and then 11 through the end, what happens if we do not do this and take the instruction to heart. So let's start at verse 1 of chapter 8. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out into valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. 
Let's sing again from Psalm 49 and now to stanzas 3, 4, and 5. The Eighth Commandment reads as follows, You shall not steal. And in the Catechism, we explain this commandment in the part that speaks about our thankfulness, that if we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, how can we show also our thankfulness to God? Let's turn to Lord's Day 42. Two questions and answers. Lord's Day 42. And there we confess, what does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money and usury. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may, deal with him as I would like others to deal with me, and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, we have the Eighth Commandment in front of us this afternoon, you shall not steal. Now, each commandment uh, has its own focus, has its own part of life, you could say, that it addresses. God's law is the perfect law. But within these commandments, he also focuses on different aspects of our lives. And in this commandment, you shall not steal, the Lord is dealing with the things that we own, the stuff that we have, our possessions. And that's a big part of our lives. That involves the home you live in, the clothes you wear, the car you drive, the job that you have, income, your mortgages, your holidays, it's all involving money, possessions, and it's all covered by this commandment. Of course, there is not an area of life where the Lord does not have his say. And why is he allowed to deal with things that I own, that I have worked for, that I have paid for, because he is ultimately the giver. Everything that we have comes from him. All we are is stewards. That means things have been entrusted to us so that we in turn may use them for him. We know that. But it's good to be reminded of this on a regular basis because let's admit 
so easy to say or to think or to live in a way that says or shows that what I have is mine. Although the Eighth Commandment, in a way, is very simple, you shall not steal, it is not an easy commandment to put into practice. If I would ask you to sit down with me, and I would like to talk with you about your faith, I'm sure you'd be willing to do that, or if your elder or your pastor does that. So I'd like to talk with you about your faith, it's fine. And even when in a discussion the elder or the minister becomes personal, talks about your faith life, how you live together as family or as husband and wife, on the whole, we're okay with that. However, if the office bearer would say to you, could I see your checkbook? Can I see your financial statements? I would like to know how much you spend every week, every month, every year, where you spend it. I'm not sure we'd be open to that. If the elder wants to know how much you spend on certain things or how much you give and contribute to others. And if then the office bearer would ask questions that show that he challenges you or criticizes you on how you spend your money or how you work with your possessions, we can easily get insulted. Typically, we have long toes when it comes to our wallets and our possessions and others challenging us on how we use them. But that's what the Eighth Commandment does. Brothers and sisters, God's law knows no boundaries. There is in our lives nowhere a room where I can put on the door, do not enter to God. And if I do, he says, you have rejected me. He reaches every part and be thankful for that. For if he could not do that, I would not be redeemed. I would not be saved. If one part of me is out of reach for him, that also means out of reach for the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. And there would be no forgiveness for the things I would do wrong in that part of my life. So thank God that he can come and does come into every part of our lives. And here in this eighth commandment, as the God who has redeemed us, and wants to teach us how to live as a thankful nation, he says, remember, I am the one who gives it all to you. And that is the theme also for the sermon this afternoon. Remember the Lord your God as the giver. I want to first say a little bit about a catechism, and then we move on to Deuteronomy 8 to see how what we also confess in the catechism is, is grounded in what Scripture shows us. So we deal with the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. Of course, that begs the question, what is meant with that? What is stealing? And uh, stealing, you can say, is that you take something that is not your own without having the right to do so. 
There can be situations in which you are allowed to take things and you have a right to take that. But stealing means that you take something, it's not your own, but you have no right to take it. There's another aspect to stealing in the Bible too. And that is when you do not give what you are supposed to give. The Lord in Malachi speaks about the fact that his people are not contributing to him, are not sacrificing the way they ought to. And he says, you're stealing from me. And when you do not work in a way that you are supposed to work and, and give to your employer what you are supposed to give, you're stealing from your employer. When you're not paying taxes the way you're supposed to pay taxes, you're stealing from the government. So it's either take what is not yours without having the right to do so, or it is not giving what you are supposed to give. Now, the Catechism, in dealing with this commandment, highlights two sides. First question and answer is what is forbidden, what we are not to do. The second part is what we are to do. And if you have a look at the Catechism, there are basically three things that are forbidden. The first one is in the first line, theft or outright theft and robbery. The difference between theft and robbery, robbery typically involves violence. Theft does not have to do that. So that is forbidden, theft and robbery. And that is uh, explained by, in this way, it can be done by outrightly doing this, or it can be done by hidden or wicked schemes. Stealing can be Outright stealing, you just take what is not yours, you have no right to do it. It can also be done through schemes and devices, that means plans or, or things you do with in mind that you want to get what is not yours. For example, false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising. If you, if you sell things and you know they're not in good working order, but you sell them as in they are in good working order, then then you're stealing. Uh, when, you, when you do not give what you're supposed to give, also in workmanship, uh, then you are stealing. Then it's kind of a hidden, a wicked scheme to enrich yourself, supposedly, while not giving what you are supposed to give. So the Catechism says uh, this stealing or theft or robbery, it can be done outrightly. It can also be done in a hidden way. Counterfeit money, usury, where you use excessive amounts of interest, deceptive merchandising, all those kind of things. It's, of course, here, too, where our government has a place in terms of regulating what is proper, what is good advertising, what is good merchandising, those kind of things. The second thing that is forbidden, says the Catechism, is fraud. Fraud. And that means that you... That you mistreat your neighbor in, a, in, in regard to finances, possession, material things. And again, it can be done in two ways, by force, very openly, and also a more, in a more hidden way, by show of right. By force could be by blackmail. That you say, if you don't give this to me, then I'll do that to you. Or that you somehow force the person to give it to you Otherwise, things are going to happen. Then you defraud, and it is, in a way, quite open, but you know the person has to do it or else. You can also do it by a show of right, 
And then you can think of suing a person where you have no right to sue the person, um, where you bring a person to court, and you, you pretend that, yes, that is your right, you show that right, but in the meantime, you want to enrich yourself. We live in a world where these things are happening very easily and very often. So there's a second, second thing that is forbidden, not only theft, also fraud. And the third, and the catechism goes to the root of it all. That's typically the catechism where certain things are mentioned as an example of a much deeper issue, and that is greed and abuse and squandering of the gifts of God. That is really at the bottom of it, greed, that you want what is not yours, that you want more and greater and better, and then you abuse the gifts, you squander the gifts of God. So you notice that the Gadigas are explaining these three elements, basically the all with material gifts, material possessions. And then comes the other side, what is now, what am I expected to do? Yes, I may not do this. But there's an other side, too, and that is typically, too, in the catechism when we look at the commandments, although the commandment may be phrased in a negative way, not steal, it also has a positive implication. And what is it I have to do? Number one, I have to promote my neighbor's good. And the good here, of course, in light of this commandment, is the material good, the financial good. The other commandments also deal with other parts of life. Here it is the financial good of my neighbor. Wherever I can and may, so the catechism recognizes there are limits, there, what I can do or not do. But I have to promote that. My attitude toward my neighbor and the goods of my neighbor is one of promoting it, doing the best so that he indeed also has a good life. Secondly, I have to deal with him as I would like others to deal with me. That is, of course, what the Lord Jesus also shows in the Gospels, uh, that when you think about dealing with other people, and again, this is in material matters, uh, financial matters, that you think about how would I like to be dealt with, and that's how I'm going to deal with that person too. Would I like to be cheated when I get something done for me? No. So should I do it to others? No. And then the third, and again, the catechism has is that this, this, this tendency of, of always going deeper and in a way opening up what lies at the bottom. And that is work faithfully. The Eighth Commandment, if you want to talk about the positive side, what is commanded, it is just to work faithfully. That means to do your work well with all your effort, all dedication. And why do you have to work faithfully? To enrich yourself, know that I may be able to give to those in need. Work of the deacons, ministry of mercy, helping other people in the world who are in need, who suffer. You do not receive it just for yourself and put it in your own pocket. No, you receive it and you work faithfully so that you can also share with others. You see how the catechism really operates on this God is the giver, the owner, all I am is a steward. And the Lord says, that's how your redemption shows. Then I see in you that indeed you are a saved person, a free person. So what the catechism shows us when it comes to the Eighth Commandment is that everything that we have comes from God. Everything that we own 
belongs to God. And everything that we do with them is for God. It's from Him, it's in Him, it is to Him. You know that when you go, when you have things in your house or when you buy things, they typically have somehow written on them or printed on them where they are made, the trademark, or whatever. Well, in light of the commandment here, it would be good to go through your house and through the things in your house and put a sticker on there. This belongs to God. To go into your garage and put a sticker on the things that are there. This is for God. To to, to think about that, that all the things that we have and that we work with, and we have it well. It's all from him and for him. And so easily we can get wrapped up in what we have and we think we deserve and we have the right to it. And to be just reminded time and again, to remind one another and to teach our children who grow up in an affluent society that what you have is not your own. It comes from God. It has to be used for Him. You have to be willing to share with others. That's how redemption shows. And that brings us to what we read in Deuteronomy 8. And I would like to spend some more time on that chapter, the chapter we read there. And, and before we go into the chapter itself, to set a stage a little... What's happening in Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy is, of course, um, one of the books of Moses. It's the last of the five. And it is it basically Moses' farewell sermon. Moses is not allowed to enter the promised land. He will die on this side of the Jordan. The people will soon go. They could say graduate from the wilderness into the promised land. And this is the final teaching, the final reminder for a nation richly blessed that will enter the promised land. So the context here too is redemption. They were brought out of Egypt, through the desert, and now into the land and therefore thankfulness. How do you live as a redeemed people that is allowed to live in the blessings of God. Now, in his wisdom, God has determined that living with him, living in fellowship with him, is connected to material things. They will have land. In Egypt, they had no land. They were slaves. They had to build somebody else's land, houses, palaces. Soon they'll have their own. They can put their hand in the dirt and say, this is my land. They'll have a home that is their own. And with it come all kinds of possessions. And the Lord says, that's how you can touch and see that I am your God. So God in his wisdom decided to show his character, his blessings, his love for them in tangible things. Like land, homes, businesses, property, 
crops. And he does that so that they can in turn show that they are God's people and become an example in this world of what it means to be redeemed. Now, there's a word here and a concept in this chapter that we have to keep in mind as we look at this chapter, and you will find it in verse 2. It says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you. The word testing is kind of important to this chapter. And, and of course, test makes you think of school. And that's indeed the point. In school, you have to write a test. Exams. Now, why does a teacher want a student to write a test? It's part of making sure that what has been taught has come across and that a student can give evidence that what the student has learned it's also able to work with. Of course, it's not a real-life situation. But it gives, in a way, an evidence to the teacher that, yes, the student understands the concept, is willing to work with it, is able to work with it, so now the student can graduate and go on to the next level and stage in life. Well, the Lord said, that's what I'm doing too. And we'll see what the test is. We'll see also what the wrong answer is. It's typically students do. Uh, what are going to be on a test? Is this going to be on a test? And here the teacher tells them exactly what will be on the test, and he gives them the answer that is right, and the answer that is wrong. Ahead of it all. That's how the teacher here works in the Bible. So that's what we have in this chapter, chapter 8, this, this test of God as it comes to material things. And I already said when we read this chapter, there's basically a twofold division. There's 1 through 10 and 11 through the end. And in the first part, you have the instruction as to what is required. And the next part becomes, well, what if you don't? So the first, you have the right answer to the test. The second, well, if you don't answer the test properly, this is what's going to happen. Let's start with verse 1. First one right away gives the message of the whole chapter. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess, possessions, the land that the Lord swore to give to your father. So they will go into the land. They will go into the land because God is faithful to his oath. I swore to gift this to you, so I'm going to give it to you. God's word is faithful. And now that you go in that land and you possess it, you have to keep the whole commandment that I command you today. Notice this singular here. The whole commandment that I command you today. Yes, there are ten commandments, there are many instructions, but really it is all one. It's one God one life with God. And the point that the Lord makes to his people is that they are careful to do this. So what he's saying to the people is, okay, yes, you know the Ten Commandments, you know all that I have instructed you, but simply to say yes is not enough. You have to do them 
you have to be careful to do this. And notice in verse 11, when it comes to this other side, the warning, then also he again talks about it, he says, take care lest you forget. So our God wants us to pay attention. I give the example that when you go through your house, you put stickers on things. That's part of making it real in your life and your mind. And that's what the Lord says here too. Don't just make it a habit, but, but be attentive to it, teach it, consciously think about it. And that brings to verse 2 through 5. Well, there you have, in a way, a looking back. I said this is a test. And, and when you have a test, or prior to a test, you have a review. And you look at, okay, in lesson one, we taught this. Lesson two, we taught that. And these are the things that you have to keep in mind. That's what the Lord does here, too. He says, think about the past. You shall remember the whole way the Lord your God led you these 40 years to humble you. So they have to remember the things that he did. As I led you through this schooling, this wilderness, I taught you something. And what is it? It is that man shall not live by bread alone. The end of verse 3. But by everything that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now that expression that you shall not live by bread alone basically means I don't want a horizontal worldview in the sense that all that counts is stuff, is material. No, says the Lord, although you have bread in your plate, you have a car in your garage, you have a home, you have clothing... All of that is carried by the word of God, by the power of his word. That means he provides, he gives, he leads, he directs. That's what it means here. It doesn't say, well, don't worry about your bread. You don't need bread. But it says, recognize that what you have on your plate is there because God spoke and it is. And God speaks and things are continuing to go. And that's why we teach our children that before they eat, they ask for a blessing. And after they're done, they have to give thanks. And that way already we we instill at that level that, yes, it's not just bread. It is God who provides. Now, that extends to our whole life. Your home, your clothing, whatever you have. And the Lord said, that's what I taught you. That's the bottom line. And how did he teach that? He says, well, I made you hungry. When you walk through the desert, I knew you're going to be hungry and thirsty. And I did that on purpose. And then when you were hungry and thirsty, look what I did. I provided you with water out of the rock. I gave you manna. I gave you food and drink. You had every day what you needed. And with that, I proved the point that you do not live by bread alone, but by the power of my word. He says, your clothes did not wear out. In Egypt, you could buy clothes. You could make your clothes. But when you're in the desert, there's no stores around. And there's no material to do it with. So how are you going to survive with your family, growing up children, having to clothe them, 
Well, says the Lord, look what I did. For 40 years, your clothes did not wear out. What a miracle. For 40 years, yet little children, they ran, they fell, they wore his clothes. They did not wear out. And the Lord says, with that miracle, I taught you something. That also these clothes on your body are given by me. And I provide you with it. Your foot, it says, did not swell up to walk and to walk. And especially through the desert is not an easy thing. And if you get a hurt or you, whatever, it can slow you down. And where do you get help and all those kind of things. And the Lord says, no, you didn't even have pain. You, your foot did not swell up. I watched over you, uh, not only in your food and your drink and your clothing, also in your health. And the aim was to make you fully trust in me, to make you my disciple. So, now I'm going to bring you into a land. You're going to be out in the wilderness. And I give you a land. And now you have to put in practice what I taught you. But this is the classroom is different from real life. So also this classroom is somewhat different from real life. Where in the wilderness you have nothing. And now they come in the land and they have everything. Verse 6 through 9. So now you have to keep the commandments. Because, why is this important? Because God is bringing you into a good land. A land of brooks of water, fountains and springs that come out of the valleys and the hills. There's wheat, there's barley, there's vines, there's fig. In fact, when you read the book of Judges and Joshua, you notice that they didn't have to build these houses. They didn't have to build these vineyards. They took them over in running condition from the Canaanites. And so the Lord says, I'm going to give you all this. I'm going to live you, give you a land where you have what you need. You shall be, you eat and be full. And then you have to bless the Lord. You see, that promised land has dangers. And that's what the Lord says, be careful. And the dangers here is not the Canaanite although they too are in view. No, you could say the danger is I'm going to be faithful to my promises and I'm going to give you so much. Are you able to handle that? Are you able to stand up properly, faithfully? You'll have water. You'll have crops. You have resources. Because I'm faithful. I'm not a stingy God who just gives little here and little there. When I give, I give lots. I want to show to the other nations too what a wonderful God I am. What I can do that the idols cannot do. Are you able to handle this? That's the question. That's why he says if first stand when you eat and be full, then you have to bless the Lord. Because he has given you this. Remember that. He is the one who gives. Serve him. So there you have it. The test is going to come when they enter the land. 
And now they have to work with what they have learned. And that is to know that everything comes from God, has to be used for God. So then the Lord in nine, in 11 through 20 says, well, I'll make very clear to you, there's another side here too. There's a warning. What happens if you do not do this? And he outlines the wrong responses to God's bountiful blessings. He says, lest when you have eaten and you have full and you have all these things that I give to you, your gold is multiplied, all that you have is multiplied, you have all the possessions and the material things. Verse 14, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. See, that is, that is what's happening. You get the danger, says the Lord, when I give all these things, is that you think you don't need me anymore. And you're not going to listen to me anymore. And you're not going to keep my commandment anymore. And on top of that, your heart is going to be proud. And you're going to say, look what I have done. Look what I have accomplished. And you forget that God has given all these things. and That he has brought you into this land. That you do not recognize him as a giver. But you say, this is mine. I can do with it what I want. Beware. Lest you do that. And then the Lord in verse 18, once more reminds them, you should do it this way. You have to serve me, because it is I who do this. And if you don't, 19 and 20, I'll tell you now already what's going to happen. You're going to fail. That means you will no longer be in the land. I will punish you, just like I punished the nations that were here before you. And Brothers and sisters, God is not to be mocked. God is not to be mocked when it comes to what he gives and why he gives it. What, we, what you read here in this chapter, in a nutshell, is what you see unfolding in, in the books of Kings. And you read the prophets, Amos, uh, Hosea, Isaiah, Jeremiah. There was riches, there was wealth. What did you do with it? They said, look what we have done, what we can do with. Rather than trusting God, they trusted themselves. So this, the people failed the test. But God warned them ahead of time. And God says, this is what a redeemed life looks like. And be aware of the dangers. And the dangers may not be what's out there, but how you look at what I give, and how you work with that. That's how the commandment comes to us too, brothers and sisters. It's a very powerful chapter, this chapter 8. No, we don't have land the way the Jews did. But I think of what the Lord Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount, when he speaks about possessions, and trusting and recognizing God. Seek first his kingdom and all these things will be given to you. Think of all the instructions that the Lord gives about 
money and, and the misuse of it. The parable of that steward who, who because he knew he was going to lose his job, then worked with the books. And then the application is you cannot serve God and mammon at the same time. It's very clear. It's either I or money. The way you use your money today has consequences for eternity. If you can't handle a credit card today, if you cannot handle money today properly, why would he give to you streets made of gold and let you walk on them? That's what the Lord Jesus said. And the apostles come back to it when they bring the gospel. Yes, we are redeemed by faith in Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, more than silver and gold. And therefore now that changes the way you look at money, possessions, and how you work with it. Timothy, 1 Timothy, the apostle Paul says that love of money is the root of all evil, the greed that controls life. The greed that we see so much around us, and again, that has resonance with my sinful heart. I think of 2 Timothy 3, where Paul describes the future, what kinds of mentality people will have. And not only does he say that they will be idolaters and, and no respect for authority, but also lovers of money. Those are the last days in which we live. And in those days, our children are growing up. And now the Lord says, I have a test for you. I have a test for you. I want to make sure that you pass the test. And it shows in how you deal with the things that you have and own. So, in conclusion, as we think about this commandment, a test that he gives to us, I like to highlight three things. The first one is this. All that we have, all that we own, all that we receive, it is from God, and it comes to us through Jesus Christ. The text in the Bible, in Corinthians, where Paul speaks about giving. And then he refers to the Lord Jesus Christ, who was rich when he was with the Father. He became poor so that we become rich. And of course, poor and rich, they are used not in financial terms, material terms, more in spiritual terms. But then he applies that to, and therefore now be willing to contribute to the needs of the brothers and sisters. And when you sit at a table and you pray, and you say, Lord, I thank you for this food, and I thank you for the sake of Jesus Christ. So when I said you have to go through your house and look at the things that you have, you go through your life and say it is from God, we add to it, it is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Christ says die on the cross so that you can have your clothes in your wardrobe, a car in your garage. We don't have separate spiritual and, and material things. Christ rules it all. So now also it is for Him. All that I have, all that I do, all the things 
that I may receive. Do not separate them from the king or his kingdom. But then we fall in the same trap as Israel. Always ask yourself, how can I serve my king with what I have? Number two. The chapter in Deuteronomy referred to past teaching. And that's important for us too. You know how easy it is to forget the past when it comes to having had hardship and then the Lord provides. And then you're again on top of things and you forget again what happened before. Also when it comes to God providing for us, we do well to keep in mind and keep in that way alive the fact that he provides. Let me give you a very, very clear example, very close to us. It wasn't that long ago that we purchased, or the school, the high school purchased a building and the cost was staggering. And we talked about it. How can we do this? And we went ahead and trust. And we raised the funds. And, and we were all amazed. That at the end it was there. God provided and we recognized that. We wanted to give glory to him. It was not our work that we could say when we drive past his school, look what we have accomplished, but that we also see this is what God did. That was at the moment. But what we have to then be aware of is that we keep it up that way. That over time, we do not pass, drive past his school and think, that's our work. Look what we have accomplished but that we continue to recognize it's only God's grace. Look what he has done. And yes, we were having our doubts and our questions maybe, but look, he does provide. Learn from that and tell your children and your grandchildren he will provide. We've learned it. We've seen it. Work with it. God gives so many evidences of how he works to use also material things to prove that he is faithful. Are we working with them in the proper way? Number three, the testing. The testing. Also, we are inclined to say so easily, it's mine. And there is a danger... That just because I have it, I can do with it what I want. The test can also be this way, that God gives it to you and says, I wonder how my child is going to deal with this. I'm going to give him or her all this extra. Will my child indeed use it properly 
or think, now I can do this, I can buy that, I can go here. Just because you have the ability to do it does not mean that you can go ahead and do it. The Lord can give you all these blessings also to see how faithful you are. can be a test. Think about that. As we live in a time where we have it quite well compared to previous generations, but just because we have it better doesn't mean that we can do whatever we want to do. That material desire or doing more things has not always blessed the church and the life of the churches. So we have to then also look for ourselves. Is the Lord first? Oh, you may enjoy what God gives. As I said, God is not stingy. He pours out gifts. And he loves it when his children are happy and thankful. But do it with him. If you have all the money for yourself, but you have no money for the church and for the causes of God's kingdom, have you then passed the test or failed the test? When your dedication to God is only in word, but not in money or others. What is it? If our wallets are not converted, we are not converted. That's where it shows that indeed you have been redeemed and renewed. Yes, it is hard to enter the kingdom of God. The Lord Jesus said that. In fact, it cannot be done by money. It is only by grace. Because the Son of God, who was rich, became poor. He was rich beyond measure. He became poor beyond measure. So that through his poverty, we now might be rich. And show that also in giving in using all of it to the glory of God. Remember God as the giver. Amen.